You're listening to the Build Shapes Podcast presented by Midco Sports. Another fall sports season is here and Midco Sports has it covered like no one else. Tune in for live coverage of college and high school football in the Dakotas, including Fighting Hawks football broadcasts both home and away, as well as Summit League volleyball and soccer and so much more. Watch on Midco Sports and stream on Midco Sports Plus, the new home of the Summit League Network. This is how we do sports and this is the Build Shapes Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Bill Shapes Podcast. We are taping this on a Tuesday morning, the 29th of August, third episode of the new season. Bill Shaves, Alex Heinert, and special guest, Commissioner of the Summit League, Mr. Josh Fenton. Josh, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, he's a veteran, Alex. So we we can just jump right into topics at this point. We don't have to say much more, but he's been a busy man for sure. Yes, this is a big time of year uh, for Josh and the Summit League crew and people in athletic departments across the country. Uh, Josh, what's the mood like around the league office right now as he gets set to launch into another season of Summit League Athletics? Well, as as you guys just said, it's a big time of year. This is an exciting time of year. This is is why we work in the industry, right? Athletic competition comes back. We appreciate the time that we have in the months of June, July, and August, which doesn't seem to be... Uh, as much relaxing as maybe there once was, Bill Bill can give us a little bit of that from from days of old in college <laughs> athletics. But you know, when we get to get to August and the calendar turns from July to August, even though you know we don't sponsor the sport of football, there's a lot going on related to football and media. Um, but but we're welcoming back volleyball student athletes, women's soccer, men's soccer, cross country student athletes, and so. Uh, competitions have started. Uh, we had our staff over to my house last week and we had a couple soccer matches on, on, on our television via the Midco Sports Plus app, which was great and some of the league network. So it's, uh, it's an exciting time of year. Uh, you know, one of the best times of the year. Yeah, the other great time of the year is when we get, get to the end of the year, but this is also an exciting time of the year. So, Josh, jump right in there. Uh, you know, major announcement uh, a couple of weeks ago with what we're doing as far as um, both streaming and uh, um, and just linear television as well. So, so talk about that process a little bit and, and a little bit more about uh, the whole entirety of what uh, folks can expect from a Summit League standpoint. Yeah, so you're alluding to uh, two new media rights partnerships, one with CBS Sports Network on the linear television side and the other one with Midco Sports uh, on the digital streaming side with Midco Sports Plus. We've created a branded what's called Summit League Network, which is being hosted on the Midco Sports Plus technology platform, which is where you can find the streaming. So super excited about uh, the new relationships. Been a long process uh, over a year at this point. Uh, I got into the role really full-time in the spring of 2022 and one of my first priorities was kind of uh, uncovering what we had done as a league in terms of media rights which i found to be fairly limited um you know long-standing partnership with espn who is who is and was a great partner have tremendous amount of respect for them uh we we were doing things very limitedly in a national linear standpoint really just the men's and women's championship games of the basketball tournament and then maybe more importantly, the, the digital aspect was very fragmented. You know, obviously we had come into a world of streaming, especially in the last few years and how the world continues to change and move that direction. Um, but we as a league were pretty fragmented. You know, you had to go to one school's website. Maybe you could find games on ESPN Plus. Uh, maybe you could find games on Midco Sports Plus. So really wasn't a great fan experience. So we knew we had to change that and create an aggregated 
digital model, uh, which is what we've done with Midco Sports Plus. So we put together a membership committee. We had an outside consultant help us, went through a long, exhaustive process of kind of analyzing the landscape, uh, assessing what our existing relationship was, obviously having lots of conversation with our our previous partner, ESPN, um, and then ultimately coming up with four priorities that led to uh, the, the two new agreements. Uh, and those priorities were expanded national linear distribution, um, expanded or increased uh, revenue, uh, expansion of brand, better, stronger fan affinity to the Summit League brand. And then the, the last one, which is maybe a little bit unique, a protection of local and, and regional rights that a lot of our member schools have, uh, whether it be with with Midco Sports at, at UND or WDAY down in Fargo with NDSU or Altitude out in Denver. Uh, a lot of our institutions have these unique relationships. So those are really the four priorities that drove the decision-making. And the combination of CBS Sports Network and Midco Sports Plus allowed us to really accomplish all four of those priorities or hit on all four of those priorities in some manner. And so we're excited about the new relationships and I've already kicked off, as I said, with Midco Sports Plus and streaming. Have a conversation tomorrow with with CBS on basketball scheduling. So that will be here before we know it and excited what that will bring. From a streaming side, and you mentioned it, every university sort of had their own thing. Some schools were in a pay-per-view model. Some schools were giving away broadcasts for free. Some, some were using other third-party groups. What were those conversations like to get everybody on the same page? Was that a tough sell at times or did everybody kind of understand the vision and jump on board without too much? Yeah, trouble? no, I, I think in general, first off, I give the committee credit to helping kind of usher that narrative to the membership overall. Um, but I think everybody understood that we've evolved into a world where um, kind of doing things on your own, especially in a streaming standpoint, was was probably not going to be the mode of operation moving forward. And so everybody was very supportive, uh, certainly different pain points, pressure points, as, as you're referring to, Alex, whether it's pay or free or whatever platform based upon what the what each member was doing. But I think the, the, the biggest thing is finding the content in one location at what I believe, by the way, is in a very affordable price point on either a monthly subscriber or even an annual subscriber. Uh, but aggregating the content, finding the content in one location. And the other big benefit is for North Dakota fans, not only can you watch North Dakota men's and women's basketball, say, at home, but you can go watch now North Dakota men's and women's basketball on the road in, in conference games. And so other than those, maybe selected by CBS Sports Network. Um, so that's a huge win because if you wanted to do that before, that is when you had to go to various websites and platforms to, to find the content. So aggregating the content was, was a big thing. Yeah, it, it, exciting. It, given the fact that obviously our relationship with Midco and uh, I, the the actual app is very slick, and I, I think it's very user friendly. And uh, I, I'm excited about uh, being able to grow the Summit League brand through this at, at some stage of the game as well. So now you're just not maybe even focused just on your team as well. You're going to go watch games that are potentially uh, going to impact your your particular teams. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, just easier access to content. Uh, and that was one of the priorities of building stronger fan affinity to the league brand. If we can help build stronger affinity to institutional brands, great. But, you know, we're here to promote and support nine member institutions. And so we want to build a league brand that's strong. And I think this is one way that allows us to do it. I, I think the other thing that probably is interesting about this overall process is 
you know, as we think back to the four priorities and especially the national linear component, and then having to combine that with digital, um, you know, certain opportunities presented certain things. And in order for us to expand national linear, protect local relationships, provide an aggregated digital platform, really the CBS Sports Network and the Midco Sports relationship allowed us to do that. Um, there were things and other opportunities that were intriguing, but this is the one that really hit on the priorities and that was what was most important for us. That's awesome, Josh. So let me switch gears on you a little bit. Um, uh, the NSIC and uh, Augustana actually hosted uh, President Baker. Uh, he came uh, and also Senator Thune was uh coming back to the uh, state of South Dakota. And um, I, I I thought it was interesting, um, you know, coming back and, and going into that sort of an environment and uh, you were lucky enough to be a part of a panel. And so just describe how that went. And I, I think you had a little bit of time with President Baker as well, as far as what his initiatives are and, and maybe how he's progressing in those initiatives. Yeah, so first off, a, a credit to uh, Dr. Stephanie Hersa-Sandlin, who's the president of Augustana University, Aaron Lind, who's the commissioner of the Northern Sun Intercollegiate Conference, um, obviously Division Two, so not in the Division One world, but they had the foresight to really think very creatively about this ever-changing world of NCAA collegiate sports, and in particular in and around the NIL space. And so they had the thought and the idea of inviting the, the new NCA president, Charlie Baker, and obviously Stephanie has a great relationship with, with uh, Senator Thune out of South Dakota. And so getting Senator Thune there with, with Charlie Baker, uh, just a great thought from Augustana and, and the NSIC. And so you're, you're right, Bill, I was lucky enough to participate in the event. The, the other interesting thing about it is I had a, I had a uh, discussion yesterday with other commissioners, NCA representatives about just the overall congressional engagement efforts that the NCA is making. And we went through the various bills that are out there from senators and, and house representatives. Um, but what was mentioned um, by, by Charlie's chief of staff was this NSA, NSIC event. And so here you have A5 or um, you know, just division one commissioners on, on the meeting in general. And Tim Buckley is his name. Tim was mentioning the um, just significance of this NSIC event and how creative and unique it was. And so, again, that goes back to the credit to, to Stephanie and Aaron for putting it together. But, you know, Bill, it was it was really focused around um, primarily NIL um, and what we're seeing in NIL and the need for um, congressional engagement surrounding NIL. So we talked about student athlete protection. Um, in the NIL space, certainly at the Division II world, they're dealing with it or thinking about it differently than Division I. As you know, we're thinking about it in the low to mid-major space different than they're thinking about it at the high major space. Um, and so a lot of it was around NIL, but but we impressed upon the, the need to have common framework, a, a federal framework guardrails that preempt state laws. Because make, make no mistake, Bill and, and Alex, and I think you guys understand this, all these state laws that we're seeing across the country are, are not because of the creative thought process of state senators or House representatives. It's because of our own NCA institutions influencing state senators to create state law that provides them opportunities and advantage and, and really, in some sense, a competitive advantage over, over other states. And so 
this is why we need uh, federal framework and guardrails around um, NIL legislation. Uh, we talked also about the employment issue and, and really the need to codify student athletes uh, not as employees and, and what comes with potentially a student athlete or a group of student athletes on your campus. I'm sure you thought about a lot, Bill, um, being thought of as, as, as employees. Uh, a question was asked of Jen Flowers, the Division II commissioner at um, Southwest Minnesota State, Marshall, Minnesota, what would, what would it what would it be from a Title IX standpoint? What impact from a Title IX standpoint would it be if your student athletes were employees? And Jen, I thought, answered it beautifully. She said, never mind the Title IX aspect to this. You know, I'm not sure we have intercollegiate athletics if, if we have employees at Southwest Minnesota State. And so, um, you know, there's a lot that we're dealing with in the industry, um, but the, the event last week was very focused around kind of NIL framework. The, the second thing that, that we touched on a little bit and maybe a little bit more of my one-on-one -on -one discussion uh, with Charlie is, um, you know, where is it that we're going as, as an industry overall? I think we can get framework put in for NIL to protect student athletes, uh, but we're seeing some significant structural changes across the industry, in particular conference realignment at the highest level that primarily I, I would think we believe is driven by the sport of of football and the economics related to football associated with media rights deals. And so the, the challenge with that is we have inflexibility, I think, in our structure. And uh, we allow institutions to move from conference A to conference B because they feel it's in the best interest of, of their institution to do that, primarily for economic reasons. And, and I'm fine and good with that and I respect that decision. But what comes of that is we're kind of dragging along the rest of uh, the student athletes, whether it be at that institution or significant impact across the entire country. And so Charlie and I talked about, um, you know, how we may need to look at our structure, in particular in Division One, a little bit closer um, because of what's happening and how much the economics are at play in driving these forces of realignment that are causing challenges for, for really all of us across Division One. So Josh, you and I have had this conversation several times. Uh, and so where's the stumbling block, so to speak, of having a conversation about, I'll call it football at the highest level, or where do you believe it, it potentially is? Because I, I believe you're correct. I mean, the uh, I'll call it the gap or whatever the financial gap is between a lot of schools that play football, but certainly at the highest level, there's just a whole myriad of other things that they have to deal with. And I respect that. I really do. But it, it is, it's, it's, the inflexibility in our system right now is is putting uh, a lot of our other sports and student athletes in somewhat of a weird position, and that's probably being kind. So, you know, when we went through con uh, when we went through uh, the whole transformation process and constitution, where, where is that conversation? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to what do we want intercollegiate athletics to be. Um, people have talked about it as this kind of co-curricular, I, I talk about it as this multifaceted curricular approach, right? You, not only are you an athlete, you're a student, and that's where the co comes into play. But as you know very well, Bill, better than Alex and I, there, there's aspects to being uh, a better human, human development that goes on on a college campus uh, by being a student athlete. Um, 
And so you learn so much. And so I, I, I feel as though that we may be, I think I used the words last week, kind of untethering those experiences because we're making structural decisions that are around economics. But, but, but let, me, let me go back for a second. To me, whether it's media rights agreements or economics, let's not blame the media rights agreements. Let's not blame the TV networks, frankly. Those are means to an end. So if we fast forward all the way to the end and we try to define what is the end, and if you put yourself in the place of some of the schools that are making the conference realignment decision at the highest level, what, what is it about? And, and to me, it's about um, relevancy, public profile of the institution overall, and the importance of intercollegiate athletics at those places, in particular, the sport of football, being able to compete at the highest level for a college football national championship that ties into their relevancy, things like enrollment, admissions, mm-hmm. research, national rankings. Uh, there's there's an aspect there that to me is more the end. Well, if you want to be relevant amongst your peers, and we're in a very competitive environment in higher education, you know, you you need to do what you need to do to continue to remain relevant. And, and, And the football program and the relevancy in football has a big tie at that level to what's going on at the institution overall. And so if you don't, and then, then we go down to the resources and, and the media rights agreements. If you don't have the resources to maintain the relevancy, that's when you see yourself starting to, to maybe slip a little bit. And so you see decisions made that, that are in the interest of we have to have the resources to be able to compete at the highest level because it's important to the overall institutional profile. And so that's where I think I see some of those decisions being made. But then what happens is, go back to where I answered before, it's kind of dragging everybody else along when maybe structurally it's not in the best interest for a softball student athlete uh, to be in a conference alignment that spans the entire country. But we've made that decision because our structure says that's what we have to do. Well, and it, it's, it, you know, the way it all plays itself out, we're a membership association where, unfortunately, President Baker just can't make edicts on what transpires. That's number one. Number two, we're also in an environment where it's incredibly competitive, but then also collegial at the same time. And so at the end, I, I'm not, those two are in conflict at, at some stages of the game. And we find ourselves where we are right now, because at the end of the day, you really don't have a commissioner of intercollegiate athletics. You have a president that's trying to influence certain things in a certain way, but it becomes challenging because that person isn't, the buck doesn't necessarily stop at that at, at, at his desk. Yeah, and I and I think unfairly, whether it was Mark Emmert before or maybe now Charlie Baker, the NCA president gets criticized in a way that probably isn't warranted because to your point, it's a membership driven organization. It's the membership that makes the decision. And I, I think a lot of us are concerned about the structure of Division One in particular, the association overall, but the structure of Division One and how how much variance and disparity we have across that structure between the top and the bottom in particular economically and how the decisions economically or i shouldn't say decisions the opportunities economically at the top are influencing some of the decision making that is coming i think at at a challenge or a detriment maybe for a large portion of of division one 
you know, you can look at it and say there's, I don't know, maybe 60 ish schools that are at the top level, so to speak, though that leaves another 300 ish um, that are that are not at the top level where the funding model looks very, very different. Yet we're all under the division one tent. And that is even bringing in division two and division three who have unique models in and of themselves. But the economics are driving a lot of the decisions in division ones. The economics in division ones at the top are also driving a lot of the legal challenges that we face as an association that could have impact not only in division one, but in division two and division three. And the employment case status is the primary example there. And so uh, we have a lot of discussion that, that needs to happen in particular division one, but the association overall. But I think for me, Bill, the end is we, we can't lose sight of that multifaceted curricular experience of what makes intercollegiate athletics so great. People say it, I believe it, it's the best human development model in the world. And if, if we are untethering those components and making it harder for student athletes or providing them an experience that doesn't allow them to develop holistically as a person, then we need to look introspectively and say, well, what is it that we're doing? And should we or could we have a different structure that allows us to get back to prioritizing that human development model that we all love? There are just so many big issues at work here. And it just seems like the tectonic shifts that we've seen at the highest level and how there, there are ripple effects that transition down throughout, as you mentioned, from D1 to D2 to D3. As the commissioner of a mid-major league, Josh, how do you perceive all this? And how do you try and keep you know, your voice heard in the midst of all this? And when there is so much at stake, essentially, at the highest level, what, what do you see your role and the Summit League's role in trying to help keep and preserve what maybe makes college athletics what it is right now today? Yeah, it's very challenging, Alex. I think the commissioner room is is an important room to have a voice. Uh, the commissioner room is 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 kind of split and separated in certain ways, and, and that isn't meant to be a negative. We have the commissioners overall of thirty two Division One multi sport conferences. Then we have an FBS component to the commissioners, and then we have a FCS or one AAA component, which is really twenty two conferences, and so. My opinion is that the, the 22 conferences that are not at FBS probably need to roll up the sleeves a little bit and, and think long and strategically about, you know, what, what do we envision the, the future of Division I or intercollegiate athletics overall? And then obviously work with our, our colleagues and, and counterparts in FBS, in particular those at the A5 level, um, because that's where the economics are really different. Um, the group of five live with FBS and the FBS subdivision distinction, but the economics really change from group of five to, to the A5. And so the commissioner room is, is really important. Um, we need to work with now more recently our congressional lawmakers uh, federally uh, to ensure that we've got great protection and benefit for, for student athletes surrounding NIL uh, hopefully codifying them not as employees um, because we think that that preserves their experience um, to what they want, frankly. Um, and so it's a challenge, but you have to be a thought leader. Um, you have to have your voice heard. Um, you got to work with your membership, your presidents, chancellors, athletics directors like Bill uh, to ensure that we're projecting an opinion from the Summit League that isn't Josh Fenton's rogue opinion, but also an opinion from the membership that we represent um, based upon how we want our future to look. 
Well, we're we're really fortunate to have you at that table, Josh. I know that you uh, you're you're thoughtful in when to speak to. I mean, because at some stage of the game, it's important uh, that. Uh, we fully understand sometimes a pecking order of maybe where we are, but at the end of the day, we're all in it together and we're all trying to preserve this thing that's been going on for 170 years. And uh, we'll just have a different iteration of it. It's just what that's going to look like at this point in time. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I have full faith, confidence, trust in my colleagues across the other 31 conferences that, that we can figure it out together that the big 10 approach as we refer to it in division one works um, we can preserve great things like March madness and, and other things that make division one great, but also looking at the overall ecosystem to ensure that the experiences for not only a division one student athlete at the highest level, but also division two and division three student athlete are the experience that, that they signed up for, which is focused around holistic human development. So so I'm bullish. A lot of work yet yet to be done. Uh, probably a lot of uncertain days ahead. Um, but if we continue to stay kind of true to that core of student athlete development, what is their experience? I, I think we'll find ourselves in a good spot in the future. A lot of challenges ahead, but certainly that mindset so important. And it sounds like we got the right mindset moving ahead. So Josh, thanks again for your time today. Best of luck as you kick off the new season. It's going to be another great year in the Summer League, we can tell. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Josh. Thanks again to Josh Fenton, commissioner of the Summit League, getting set to begin year number two in charge of that conference. There's a lot to deal with on his plate and on the plate of the other 31 commissioners in the NCAA and with President Charlie Baker, who we got to talk about a bit. There's there's so much going on right now, but I think there's a, a strong belief that the right people are leading the way and making those decisions and having conversations that are going to affect what the NCAA model looks like in the years to come. Yeah. You know, Alex, I, I, I'd say this just because of the structure, the way it's set up as a membership organization, it puts anyone that's sitting in the presidential chair in a tough position because ultimately you just can't make decisions as a say a CEO, if you will, and say, this is what, you know, needs to happen for the best interest of the whole association or organization. Um, so you almost have to get, you know, legislative buy-in on everything that you do, which becomes challenging. And at the end of the day, we are in an incredibly competitive environment. I mean, you're, you're actually keeping score. That's what you're doing. And so, so it becomes interesting and we're in one of those moments right now. And I think Charlie's right. I think, you you know, the, the idea of um, protection, consumer protection for our student athletes as it pertains to this NIL space, I think is real. I think it needs to be, uh, hopefully, uh, those rules of engagement can, can uh, be uh, established across all 50 states. And with that, you know, then we all kind of understand how this kind of moves forward so that everyone is eyes wide open. And it's certain things, even though there might be, in a sense, it seems like there's more transparency on some things. In some ways, there's not transparency at this stage of the game. And so, you know, when the student knows that it's going to go awry, when it goes awry. Mm -hmm. And so instead of signing something that says, you know, X, Y, or Z is going to happen. So I think that's kind of what Charlie's stumping on at this point in time. And he's trying to get, uh, you know, Congress after they get back from the August recess to uh, to take a peek at it. And as Josh said, there's bills out there right now and there's some bipartisan bills. So we'll see what transpires. 
Yeah, that's that protection piece. And I wanted to ask Josh specifically about that because he mentioned that word protecting the student athletes on a couple of occasions. That was a big stressor from Charlie Baker this last week at Augustana at the Congressional Engagement Listening Session. And that's just it. I think there's so little legislation about what collectives can do or what student athletes are being promised and how long some of these relationships are lasting even beyond their time as a student athlete. It just seems like we need to have just better rules in place. We always talk about that rules of engagement. There still really are not a lot of rules out there for this particular space right now. I think we need to be really open to be, uh, you know, uh, open to change on how things, how we've, how we've done things. I, and, and I think we need to evolve that. That is not the issue. And when you hear Charlie speak, he says the same thing. He says it pretty directly. He says, most people are lying in this space mm. because they can and so at the end of the day, I kind of don't know if anyone would want to have a transaction occur where you're not sure what you're actually signing at this point in time. So at the end, I think that's really kind of the angle that we're coming on. Now, you might say, well, that's crafty or whatever, that that's the angle. Well, not really. I mean, if you get kind of caught up in, a, in the crossfires or the crosshairs and you think something's happening and really at the end of the day, there's no consequence if someone pulls the rug out, that doesn't seem right. No, it doesn't. And I think a lot of people are using this opportunity in college sports to make money off these student athletes. And it's, it's unfortunate because it should be the other way around. Like for the first time, student athletes have the opportunity to profit off their name, image, and likeness based on what they've done on the court, on the ice, on the field, et cetera. And it's, it's in every case, it's not working out that way and it shouldn't be. Yeah. I mean, you know, our country, it's capitalism at its finest. And and at the end of the day, I've watched a lot of, I'll call it third parties or cottage industries uh, that we've created based on certain rules and folks, you know, jump in with a, a new business. You know what? Good on them. That's the reason why, you know, you're able to do this in this country, comma. I do think we need to be eyes wide open when we see something we need to then look at it and just say, you know what, maybe we need uh, a better a better mousetrap, so to speak, so that we know exactly what is occurring for the student, for the coach, for the school. Ultimately, I guess if collectives are still a thing at some point in time, let's pretend they are for the collective as well. I mean, everyone should have eyes wide open. A lot there to digest from a good conversation with Josh. Uh, so again, best of luck to him and the, and the Summit League crew as they get things going. Obviously, Summit League events have been taking place now for the last week and a half or so with official competition underway and non-conference play with soccer and volleyball, cross-country getting going as well coming up. We're going to hit on some of those individual sports in just a stack. First, though, some big UND news since our last pod, Bill. We've got shovels in the ground and announcements being made. Things are happening all across campus, give us a little update on some of the fun things that you've been able to be involved with from a expansion and renovation and, and building process the last couple of weeks. Yeah, really exciting uh, for sure. And, you know, Alex, it, and if many folks haven't been on campus recently, the campus looks gorgeous. It really mm -hmm. does. And the vision that uh, 
our upper administration led by Dr. Armacost has for, you know, the next, I'd say, iteration of higher ed, really. I mean, in, in being a flagship university, that's, I'll call it medium size, right? Like it's, it's, it's not your, it's not your massive, massive flagship. It's not small, small. It's almost just the right size. It's still got that intimate feeling where you can get to know folks. But I think the campus, um, you're, you're, you've got a couple different student type, uh, bodies, if you will. Sometimes you might have the online version of a student to some degree. You might have your traditional 18 to 22-year-old student that wants to come to campus. I think where we're headed is that you've got to serve multiple constituencies, and that's what we're looking to do on campus. But you're right. We we are kind of maybe right right in the throes of it as well, because there's, there is thought process of what is going to occur with the Hislop space in regards to STEM. And so that there's some pieces of that puzzle. So all these are dominoes with a bigger vision, but across the street on Columbia, correct. We've got a couple, literally, literally three projects happening right now, and they're all different. And there's probably, well, there will be a fourth one when we update the turf and the track. And so at the end of the day, right now, Memorial Village One is 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 really going um, going like gangbusters at this point in time. And did, in fact, did a walkthrough yesterday. So uh, we do that once a month, kind of go to see what the uh, um, progress is. It's awesome. It's really great. And so that's occurring right now. That should be open for us, again, administratively and for the sports of um, football, and softball, track and field, and the golfs will have their um, offices in there as well. That'll be open next July-ish, somewhere in that range. So that's what's happening at this stage of the game. We had the Pollard edition, which we've been looking at doing ever since we, ever since the Pollard was erected and it was born, there was a thought process of having the locker rooms, the weight room in sports training, sports med area um, in that area. Well, you know, Life happens, and it was only the indoor that got erected initially. So this is kind of that add-on to that next wave. So that was – we broke ground this past Monday. Um was awesome. Uh, and um, That's the NODAC Insurance Sports Performance Center. That's correct. And so good – thank you thank you for that, and thank you to NODAC for, for um, certainly their gift to kind of push us over the top to, to get us to where we needed to get to. But our awesome donors, 100% philanthropic building, so our awesome donors mm-hmm. have been uh, great. So that one, that one is in play right now, and we're thinking maybe – a year from December-ish, somewhere in that range would be my guess. I mean, more to come, but a uh, lot of activity going on right now at this stage of the game. Then across the street will be Memorial Village 2, accompanied by bringing our softball team back to campus. That'll be home for UND softball. So that's part of the project. The MVP, excuse me, MV2 area, nothing in there will be athletically related per se. Again, market rate um, apartments on top. And then down below will be kind of like business type of mixed use facility. But then ultimately, um, right across from the Pollard on 2nd Avenue, that's where UND softball will be. And, you know, thank you to uh, Alexa and Dave Albrecht, who uh, provided the the lead gift on that. And really, honestly, just an amazing 
uh, collaboration between the city, between UND's foundation, UND's administration, the de- our developers are awesome developers, and uh, and then the donors as well. So there were a lot of lot of plates spinning. And, uh, you know, I, but we're going to break that ground officially on October 3rd. So they're kind of moving mm-hmm. dirt right now. And I'll call it raising the area at this point in time. But the actual official ground break will be October 3rd. A lot of preparation going on. A lot on. of preparation. A lot of preparation going on in that space. And it's fun to see. And that's exciting. I mean, that to think of what that space was even just two years ago before Memorial Village began and the old Memorial Stadium was essentially torn down to where it's going to be by next December, next, you know, like June of 2025, when the, all these things are sort of complete, just night and day uh, difference, you know, for the community, certainly for our student athletes, you know, for the alums who get to come back and enjoy these spaces as well. Now with softball, being able to play games on campus, uh, it's really special. It's, it's a completely transformative three, four years for the university. And those things are going to last for a long, long time and make a big impact. Yeah, the last the last project eventually when it's all said and done will be to redo uh, that outdoor track. And again, um, hasn't been done in a long, long time and then redo the turf as well. But, uh, uh, you know, that one needed to be last because there's just so much activity going on right now. Uh-huh. And, and so, but you know what's kind of cool with this whole thing? And we, we saw it. We saw it during COVID when we used the Pollard for testing and, you know, the community really has come in and they, they rent that space when our, when our teams are not utilizing it. Obviously, it's become a, a tremendous community asset. We see mm-hmm. all of this as a potential community asset. We have to work together in Grand Forks. And, and if we work together, it's amazing some of the things that we can provide for certainly the youth of our community. So at the end of the day, it's it's exciting for sure, Alex. And, you know, I, this softball thing, I mean, I'm just telling you, a, a year from now, you know, we're thinking we're going to pro- hopefully be able to play a fall game uh, on there. So we'll see mm. what transpires. Pretty cool. Incredible. That's awesome. Well, well done to you and to the athletics department. And as you mentioned, to the outstanding donor base that cares so much about UND and about the community of Grand Forks and what this is going to mean for student athletes and the community itself moving forward. More to get to. Fall sports getting set to kick off in some circles again with cross country having their first meet in Grand Forks coming up on the first on Friday. Ron Penn Classic. Football will kick off the next day, year 10 of the Bubber Schwagert era. Big home game against Drake at three o'clock. So much excitement around those two sports. And then same thing with soccer and volleyball, who both have gotten underway now this last week or two. What's the feel right now as all of those fall sports have either started or are just getting ready to begin as we get set to flip the calendar to September? Yeah, we're, you know, a lot of activity. The campus is buzzing, which is which is fantastic. And uh, yeah, we've already had a number of uh, home events already. You know, the uh, women's soccer team, as we mentioned on a previous pod, just has a lot of home games this year. So uh, just had a uh, uh, really fun one on Sunday against Austin P. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, a lot of back and forth and, uh, found a way to, uh, to not the score here toward the end. And again, with an we, Olympico bill, don't bury the lead. Rapidusky with an Olympico from the uh, well, corner. Uh, well, it was <laughs> tremendous. I, I, I did, I did hear her comment afterwards. I don't think she was trying, but it happened, which was perfect. So, you know what, just go with it. Just go, just with, go it. with it. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of felt like that result was fair. I, I did. I, mm. you know, I thought that uh, Austin P had some good chances. Uh, we had some good chances. And uh, uh, then so just to, uh, you know, draw at that point in time. But uh, I know volleyball struggled a little bit on the road. I, I, I would say this, that going into this particular tournament, I, we could be wrong. We'll see what ends up happening. Um, but we knew this one was going to be challenging. Kennesaw State was like a top 50 RPI team last year. And anytime you have a Pac-12 team there, and then you have the home team who's actually played pretty well, we knew it was going to be a, a challenge for sure. For sure. So uh, hopefully we can get down to uh, Abilene this weekend and, and, and play better. Yeah, three games coming up in Abilene, Texas at the Abilene Christian Classic. Uh, so again, good competition. Again, Providence, ACU, Grambling before UND comes back home on the court coming up for the UND Classic on the 7th through the 9th. Women's soccer, by the way, on the road for the first time yep. this coming week. A couple of road matches before they come back home on the 7th and the 10th against Northern Colorado and against Grand Canyon. And as you said, football, you mentioned home gates, back-to-back home games to start the season. Again, Drake with the season opener coming up on the 2nd and then Northern Arizona coming up on the 9th before UND heads out to Boise State. We're going to be talking a little Boise State matchup coming up uh, next pod, I believe. That's next up on the docket. So again, all these things are happening it's exciting, again, this time of year when you're just on the cusp or you've just kicked off and you can sort of start to see what the teams are going to be like or you see the promise of what the new year is going to bring. And it's it's an exciting time. Yeah, so we... Uh... You know, you can you can just feel it in the air. And uh, we had our media day last week, uh, football media day. And, uh, you know, I think there's obviously optimism around uh, the football team and, and kind of who's being brought back. And, you know, anytime you have a signal caller that's that's has played as many games as Tommy has, uh, you know, just gives you it gives you a feeling of comfort i guess that he's seen a lot you know he's he's been in he's been in it he's been in the soup and uh um you know the question for him now is how does he keep adding on to his repertoire you know and i think uh you know i i think this group is is excited about this year they're they're optimistic but they know they they do know it's one step at a time and drake uh you know will tend to come in and and they're going to play really 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 hard and and uh we know that and, and that's why and in some ways it's a great it's a great game for us uh and so we have to just uh got to you know hopefully you know knock on wood you know take care of business this weekend but we know it's going to be challenging and to start two in the row at the Alaris Center is exciting because obviously we we tend to play pretty well there. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, pretty good record over the years inside that building. The last time, by the way, Drake came to Grand Forks, it was a 38-0 victory two years ago for North Dakota. But that, again, you just don't want to get ahead of yourself. They will bring the fight. Certainly yeah, and I, if I recall, Alex, help me if I'm wrong here. For some reason, I, I remember that their quarterback might have gotten injured. Something happened. I, 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 It felt like they had to start someone new. Yeah, that sounds right to me from a couple of years back. And that's yeah. a challenge, you know, I mean, so and we took full advantage and that's what you do. And so uh, but yeah, they, um, you know, they've had a, a long time coach. Uh, certainly, I think he was a defensive coordinator uh, originally mm-hmm. and now the head coach. So he's been there a long time. So th- they know who they are. And that that's what when you're playing a team like that, you know, you, you had better play to your certain level. We're excited to see this UND football team take the field for the first time again. Three o'clock kick at the Alaris this Saturday against Drake, followed by a home, home date against Northern Arizona. The following Saturday, 
if you and the footballs to be successful this season, Bill, what do you think is the biggest key for that group to find the type of success and get back to the playoffs as they did a season ago? What's going to be the big key for you? Yeah, you know, I think our guys have talked about it a little bit, and I think it's very fair is that, you know, we just struggled on third down last year. We just didn't get off the field enough, I, you know, and, and you can say you got to turn teams over, but you know, a few more, I'll call it either three and outs or six and outs would be, would be incredibly helpful. And, um, you know, I thought we battled, uh, last year, but I think if we can find a way to have a little bit more success, um, uh, on that side of the ball, that'll give us probably a, a, a chance, so to speak. And, uh, you know, um, new coordinator, um, Joel is, uh, I think kind of trying to figure out maybe, and I know they've spent a lot of time analyzing, you know, the entirety of last year and, uh, and, 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 and last year's last year, this year's this year. But at the end of the day, I do think we have enough guys back that they knew, um, you know, maybe some of the things that they, they could maybe think about changing up and that's what they've tried to do. Yeah, exciting. We mentioned third down. Bubba Schweigert calls that the money down. Got to got to make it on both sides of the football. You got to take advantage of that. So good key. Good key, Bill, for the UND football season coming up. Uh, speaking of, by the way, things coming up, and then we'll flip to the B side here. Uh, hockey, not that far off in the distance. Again, nope. September is going to take place in a couple days. We'll flip the calendar. Hockey practices have begun. Coaches can get on the ice at least for a limited amount of time now. And not just Brad Barry and two assistant coaches and Carl Gehring and Dane Jackson, but now a third added to the mix with the hiring of Dylan Simpson. That's a big move for North Dakota to have another UND alum to come back on board and help coach the defense and lead this team forward into the season. Yeah, it was interesting, Alex. I was um, I was somewhat, I'll call it, I was on the periphery of the conversations. I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, you know, centralized to those, um, you know, to the group that was actually, uh, interviewing all of the folks, but really good process. Um, I think, you know, coach Barry had mentioned that publicly. And I think, you know, what, what sometimes this does for you when you go through a process like this, it really allows you to evaluate your own program through the eyes of others. And so even though you're may not hire, like, like literally going in, you know, sometimes you have an idea, well, this person might be a good fit for us or however that goes. This one was pretty wide and varied and open. And I think that provided just an amazing introspection of where we are because you're, unvarnished you're hearing from folks about what they think of your program and and at the end of the day because if you're trying to get a job you got to be straight up right and you got to say hey this is what i think y'all are unbelievable at these are the things that are great but you know what these are the things i see that needs to be worked on and who knows how all those conversations went but i tell you what it was competitive and uh and good for dylan uh he kind of rose rose up and uh yeah kind of neat we've got four coaches all und grads all from kind of different eras i think you would say dane and brad are probably in a similar era, so to speak. Maybe Dane will be sad that I said that. Um, but but at the end of the day, kind of, sort of. And then you've got Carl and then you've got now Dylan. And I think that's important. I think that, you know, that kind of helped us, um, you know, moving forward with him. And then certainly the fact that he played defense, right? And, and he literally just came off of playing. And so those are all really important things. Um, so we're excited about having him back. Yeah, I love that point that you do have people from different eras, even though they're all UND guys and it's it's similar. I mean, similar influences. They know the program well, but Brad would have been mid 80s, Dane early 90s, Carl late 90s. 
And now Dylan was an early 2000s captain for this team. And that will pay dividends, you would think. With certainly a young group. Again, this is a different looking team this season with 14 newcomers. And we'll talk a lot more about hockey as as the season gets closer. Again, Manitoba isn't coming to town until the 7th of October. So we got some time. But these sorts of little nuggets of news over the course of the summer and into the fall just get you excited again for what's to come. And I know everybody's pumped up to see what this team does this season. Well, and and again, I I forget exactly what the age was that I read what Dylan said uh, quote wise, but he was paired with, uh, was it an 18 year old last year or 19 year old, something to that effect. So he literally was paired with, you know, the same age, if not our guys are older in a sense. And so I, I just think there's a different level of voice that comes. And I think that's why diversity is tremendous. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. If you get all different aspects, you have a better chance if you're open enough to, uh, you know, to say, hey, collectively, we're better when we have multiple voices coming at it from different ways, all for the same common goal. Exciting stuff there on all fronts from a UND Athletics perspective. Bill, anything else on your plate that you want to discuss? Should we flip? Shall we flip? Let's flip. Let's flip. We got we got a couple minutes left. B-side wise, I think, I think we got to start with Spurs. I think is what would be maybe the huh. place to start because your team's unbeaten after a 2-0 win against Bournemouth. Your thoughts on the first three matches of the season and then the Ange revolution that's taking place at White Hart Lane? Well, you know, a couple of years ago, um, Nuno won coach of the year. I, I was coach of the month after an amazing start. And literally a month later, he was no longer the coach. He was gone. <laughs> so let's so if we so we need to balance out the excitement a little bit. Oh, but but it's pour ex- that cold water, Bill. Just Ooh. pour it on down. It, because I, I but I'll say this though, Ange, I love I love his style. I love his communication skills and in the way he just approaches things. And all the way from Harry Kane to, you know, I, I don't think I think he knew what the end result probably was going to be, but he was just moving on. And at the end of the day, uh, it's worked out great. And, uh, you know, they're playing different, Alex. You know, they're just actually kind of fun to watch. I mean, it's and I know Spurs style, Spurs, whatever DNA, however that goes, it's kind of front foot play, play a little bit, you know, reckless abandon, kind of just, you know, score goals, do all that kind of stuff. But it is kind of fun as opposed to sitting there and just taking on pressure. You know, I mean, that that I, I watched that for three years. Oof, that can be tough. Yeah. I mean, your club motto, you know, to do is to dare. To dare is to do. To, to dare, dare is I to apologize. Do. To dare yeah. is to do. Let me flip that around. Uh, that's what that's what Ange is doing here. I mean, that's what he's bringing to the table. Yeah. Very different than Conce or Mourinho or some of the guys you've had in charge. So I'm glad you're enjoying it so far. And I'm glad you're also not necessarily thinking you're going to win the league. That You're tempering expectations just a little bit. I have matches. I have pretty good expectations, um, although I'll, I'll say this, though. I do believe this, that I think our our team, well, it's bloated right now. They said with the transfer window coming up, they still have to try to offload some guys. But um, I think given the fact that they're not in Europe this year, they will have some sneaky matches where they probably will be more prepared than Mm. other, other teams. That's just, you better use it to your advantage this year. Obviously you never not, you don't want to not be in Europe, but at the end of the day, if you're not, then you better use it to your advantage. 
it is the one silver lining of not having the big fat check that you get from playing in the Champions League or Europa League or or the smaller check that you get from the Conference League. You get a chance to focus and prepare and take the league seriously and maybe make a run on the domestic cup side. You opened up your League Cup slate today against Fulham, I see. So good luck as you pursue a trophy for the first time in a long time. Now Spurs, by the way, on seven points after a draw and a couple of wins, tied with West Ham, Arsenal, and Liverpool for that second position behind perfect Manchester City. Did you happen to did you happen to catch the Liverpool Newcastle match? Okay, this so so here's what I'm gonna tell you. The answer is yes. <laughs> okay, the answer is yes. Um here's what I'll say. Newcastle had a great year last year. Great. They did. Great. Fourth, and finished fourth. European football. Yeah, and they're gonna play Champions League. I mean, they got a lot on their plate, including high expectations. And that's what Arsenal has, too. And I think both of those teams are interesting on how they've started a little bit. They they seem a little pressurized to me, which was, you know, I have to admit to you, I don't care much about Liverpool, but I was enjoying it the other day. I, I, I Because we got crushed at St. James Park so bad last year, it was nice to see someone just dash someone's hopes. I mean, it was, uh, I, I don't know about that red card. I Yes, by the letter of the law, it was correct. It seemed a little, seemed it, when you're going to end up taking someone off for 60 minutes, boy, that's a tough penalty. You better be right. Yeah, that one um, in the moment seemed a little bit harsh. Uh, it the, seemed the, that way. The refereeing itself, the fact that Trent Alexander Arnold got a yellow for getting shoved in the back. I, I know they were. I know they said it was for time wasting because he kind of pushed the ball away. That was such just ridiculousness and then then he almost got a second yellow moments later like that would have been not great not a great look not a great way to start a match within the first six minutes of the game uh but then yeah for van dyke to get sent off as well um just tough tough stuff there but again like you said letter of the law probably right he goes through the man to get the ball in you know and it was a clear goal scoring opportunity that he denied and there was nobody else between alexander isaac and goal so again letter of the law yeah but yeah it's it seemed pretty Pretty flimsy to, to send someone off like that in the 30th minute of the game. And at that point, I mean, it was one nothing already. And there was a sense like they're going to get a hiding here. They're not, they're not playing well. And now they're down a man. And I give Liverpool a ton of credit. Like yeah. they, they created they the majority of the chances despite being down a man. And then they, they took two of them, albeit on like kind of fluky, <laughs> fluky bounces. But they still, Newcastle was playing a crazy high line and they played it in behind and give Darwin Nunez credit. He scored two great goals and they escaped with three points on the road. Yeah, it, 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 it was interesting. Um, that was a fun match. Uh, you know, that's the theater of the Premier League at its mm. best. You know, you just never know what's going to happen. I, it's always interesting to me, especially in that sport, whenever something happens from a penalty standpoint, it's such a severe, you know, it's there's no like middle ground. It's like it's either a penalty kick, which chances are it's a goal. Chances are the way it goes or you're down a man for the rest of the match. And it's just, yeah, I, that one, I kind of went, ugh. if that was my club, I'd be like, eh, that seems like a borderline call. I, I, I don't know. I, a yellow, I could have understood. I, I was disappointed, but I think listening to people after the fact, like just the fact that the rule is written as such, if you take somebody out and there's no, I mean, I that's, that's, you're done. And that's, he, he gets the leg, even though they're and, like side by side. He goes through the man to get the ball. Yeah, and so. I think you know when uh, 
when they get back to the studio with Rebecca Lowe and the two Robbies, um, I thought they were pretty measured. I thought they were pretty measured and I thought they were fair and they didn't go ballistic on it. So it was like, eh, maybe I just don't know enough. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you too, but what do you do? Um, last thing, I Sox right now, five and a half out of the wild card. They, they are, they're playing Houston. They have this great opportunity to make up some ground, but they've lost a couple of games in a row now. It just, it seems like perhaps unless something flips over the final month, they're going to end up about where we thought they were going to end up, a little over 500 outside the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think the, the thing that, as a Red Sox fan, you can uh, – well, I've got two things for you, and we'll, we'll end with the other one because I want to make you sad. Um, so at the end of the day, one is I feel like the roster I, – I see the pathway of wait, hopefully where some young guys are, are on our team, guys are coming up. So we, we have some – some issues that we obviously every team has issues that they need to resolve, but there, but certainly pitching could be helpful. We got to figure that out a little bit more, but with, with what uh, Cassis has been able to do this year and Duran's been able to do. And then we've got the kid that just came up from AAA, Rafaela. So Rafaela. Yeah. Let's I know. go. So, so we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens. And obviously mayor's on his way. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of other pieces to the puzzle that you feel pretty good about at this point in time. I think kind of Yoshida's hit a wall a little bit feels that way. I, I I don't know, but he's had a nice year. And so I, you know, it's, it's actually encouraging. The thing that's actually interesting is I don't think Devers has had really a great year. Like, no, I mean, he has MVP potential in him and one of these years he will, you know, put it all together, but he's been good. He's been good. You know, not, you know, not, not to the, where I, I think he could be, so we'll see what happens. That what did you think about Mookie coming back? I, I yeah, you know, yeah. I, you know mm. I I knew. I mean, th- this would have been the obvious place to begin the B side on, but I just don't like talking about this. <laughs> it just really bums me out that such a special guy and a special character, you know, basically leaves your life earlier than probably he should have. And we've talked a lot about this over the years. Did I you just, listen? Did you listen to Bill Simmons this week? I did hear Bill's conversation about about Mookie and the yeah, sadness, and you know what? He's probably right. He's probably right. You, well, here, here's what I would say, and I, I, I will stick to this till I'm whatever, till I'm done, is I do think he, he wanted to probably explore the market, whether it was back in Boston or not. I do think that that's the case. And we, Boston, did, should have done everything to make it almost impossible for him to do that. And that's the disappointing part of it. In fact, I didn't even really watch the games because I really didn't want to see him in that uniform. No, I, I passed. I saw, I, I love that we gave him a standing ovation. That family Perfect. Park, he's a great guy. That was nice. Yeah. And he said all the right things after yes. the facts. And I mean, there, that that's what makes this so hard. I think that's what makes it so disappointing is that he was beloved and brought the team a championship and had his whole future ahead of him. Well, we weren't even really entering his prime yet. And they sort of said, yeah, we don't want to give you the, the long contract. Yeah, how do you not give him 10 years? And I thought what Bill said is right. I don't want, I, I'm just going to repeat it to, to our listeners at this point. Hey, you know what? His body type is such that you knew he was going to age well. I mean, he's ch- and he's one of those guys is just great at everything. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Um, didn't, I kind of checked in on it, but I really wasn't watching it because I didn't want to see it. That's <laughs> if you don't see it, it's not happening. I feel I've taken that approach with the news sometimes when things just get particularly sad. Like I'm just I'm just not gonna watch it today. 
I just That's don't right. think about it. That's how I feel about Mookie. But yeah. God bless him. All the success to him. <sighs> yeah, I, I think the Sox, Sox, you know what? I, I, they've kind of fought. I, all right, last thing I'll say, last thing I'll say on the Sox this year, and they do need to figure some things out. Their base running has been atrocious this year. <laughs> I mean, atrocious. Awful. I, I don't even know what their awareness is. I, I, I mean, it is painful. That's one. <laughs> and then two, defensively, we have got to value defense a little bit more than we do. I mean, we, it, for how we put people in lineups to actually, like, can they play the position? And then the other one is actually, can you then actually get guys in the positions and then make the right plays too? It's just those two things have been awful this year. I can't imagine if we actually had guys in the right spots from the beginning, we might be in a playoff position right now. Isn't it amazing? I mean, the margins over a 162-game season really are kind of slim when you think about how close and how tight this AL East race is between teams two, three, and four and what the wild card looks like. And they could certainly be right there. If, well, I mean, Wong had the latest base running gaff over the weekend, bad. And then and then ultimately, we actually started our pretty good defensive center fielder at shortstop, and he was so bad, we had to let him go. Yeah. Like, that actually happened this year. So, so at the end of the day, not great, and we stayed pretty stubborn, and we weren't ready to pivot off that either. So um, I, I hope our offseason – is a little bit more measured, a little bit more thoughtful. Hopefully we play better defense and we, I don't know, go take some running clinics. <laughs> fundamentals, Bill. Fundamentals are fundamentals. And start with the layup. Start with the Let's layup. Start with that. Let's yep, start with that. That's right. So, well, on that note, <laughs> Bill, always a pleasure. Great to catch up here at the start of uh, the new academic year, the new sports season, everything underway. Keep enjoying watching these teams perform. So many home dates on the slate coming up for all of those from cross country this weekend and football to soccer to volleyball. Get out and enjoy what's going to be a great fall of you and the athletics coming up in Grand Forks. Really appreciate you, Alex. Yeah, thanks. Come on out, really. Uh, our student athletes get really, really excited when the uh, places are packed. So I uh, appreciate everybody's support. All right, Bill. Well, we'll talk to you again in two weeks, probably in person before then. But we'll talk to you on the pod here coming up in a couple weeks. More football talk, a lot of more good stuff on the way in our next episode. So for Bill Shaves, for Josh Fenton, our entire behind-the-scenes crew, Paul and Alec and company, I'm Alex Heiner. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy the fall. We'll talk to you soon.